Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the word imagine. This is a series we've been on now for a few weeks. The word imagine has within it a family of words that are biblical words. Words like dream, dreamer, hope, vision, imagine, eyes, lift up, burden, able to see the future, prophecy. All of these words have something to do with this word that we're talking about. And that's the word imagine. Now, the word imagine is different than the word used just in a secular context or a non-believer context. If you are a non-believer, that is, you have not God, have not the Holy Spirit, you have not the Bible, then your imagination can go wherever your mind wants it to go. You can imagine whatever you like, for your life, for your future, for your decision. There's no one to cross that. There's no standard by which to line up to. When we talk about the word imagine, in context of Scripture, in context of a God thought, in context of those who have within them the Holy Spirit and have in them Christ and the ability to submit to the Word of God, imagine takes on a whole new meaning. Because we're not just imagining whatever we want. We're trying to imagine what God has in store for us. We're trying to see the dream He's already painted for our life. We're trying to get into that perspective so that we can actually have the thoughts of God. You need to have a divine perspective on your life. The word imagine simply means to form a vivid, powerful image of something not present to the senses. Imagination. Well, dreams, visions, and that God thought that come to a person, it takes the spirit of faith. It's not always revealed to the senses. It's not always something you can understand and reason out in your own natural mind. It goes beyond that. The very basics of Scripture goes beyond the human realm. In the beginning, God. Everyone say God. It starts with God. It ends with God. And we're in between. It doesn't start with us and end with us. And God's in between. It starts with God, ends with God, and we're in between. He's the Alpha and He's the Omega. He's the beginning and He's the end. He is the reason we exist. He created us for Himself. We are to have our passions hidden in Him. And so it's very important for me to be able to tap into the very heart of God and the mind of God and the thoughts of God in order for me to imagine the imaginations of God, the dreams that God has for my life. Now maybe you're just starting. You might be a young dreamer. Maybe it's all new to you to start, even to try and see what God might have for your life. Maybe you're mid-range. You've had a few dreams. Maybe you've fulfilled some of them. Maybe there's more. Or you could be at the other end of the spectrum. Maybe your life has been lived for many years. Maybe you're in your latter years of life, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100. We have a number of people in our church that are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
those that still have faith and vision for their life, still serve and sacrifice and do the things God wants them to do. It's never too late to have dreams for your life. The word imagine in this series, I've taken on three or four different angles. In the first message, I talked about imagine is a vision and a dream word. Remember, we talked about Solomon, that God came to him in a dream. And God asked him a profound question. Ask whatever you want, and I'll do it for you. Now, I'm not saying you can ask whatever you can imagine And God, with his silver platter, would just come down and deliver it to your doorstep. Because the New Testament's very clear about asking amiss. About asking carnally, selfishly, ill motive. The Bible teaches us to have a pure heart. And the Bible teaches us one of the most basic principles about asking is to put the Lord first. First point about asking is that you make Jesus Lord of your life and you're asking in context of what Jesus wants for your life. It's not just about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not just about my wildest imagination. It's about how I might tap into God's greater vision and dream for my life that would cause me to probably sacrifice and serve other people and leave an impact on those around me. It's not just about me. So don't get confused with my message that I'm talking just about whatever you can imagine, whatever you can think up, whatever you want to have. It's not just about you. You have to bring in context. The word imagine and dream and vision and hope and faith into the context of the kingdom of God. Seek ye second the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. Everyone say no. Seek ye. Come on. Shout it out. Well, if that's not in place, I imagine whatever you might imagine could be amiss. If you don't have a lordship message, if you don't have a kingdom of God mentality, if you haven't already set in motion, seek ye first the kingdom of God, calling upon the name of Jesus, making him Lord over my life, asking Jesus to bend my will to match His will. Asking Jesus to help me mortify the deeds of my flesh, which is selfishness and carnality, so that I might serve the living God. Without those things, you might imagine the wrong thing. That's what we don't want you to do. Imagine as a faith word. It takes faith in order to bridge the gap, for you to hear the word, to live the word, to go after it. It's a faith word. Third, imagine has to have a God thought. Not just vain imaginations, not just empty thinking, not just fantasy thinking, not just whatever I think I might want to think about, but there has to come a God thought. Well, the first realm of God thinking is to know the Word. You've got to get the Word into your life. If you want to have a great dream for your life, consume the Word of God. If you want to be safe in how you serve the Lord, consume the Bible. If you're not sure what you might could do or should do, at least start in the things that the Bible says, this is obviously what you can do. And so you consume the Word of God. And the Word of God so fills your life that dreams and visions become biblical in context, biblical in motivation. They fill your life with a God thought. And then from that written Word, the Logos, comes the Rhema Word, the Quicken Word, out of the Logos Word that fills your spirit. You begin to have quickened or prophetic thoughts about what God is saying to you, which is awesome. Imagine is also 
a Holy Spirit work. And that's what we're on today. Imagine is a Holy Spirit word. It's a Holy Spirit work. Now hear me clearly. You can't do what I'm preaching without the Holy Spirit. Impossible. Say, Frank, are you trying to tell me there are people outside of Christ, outside of the spirit of the living God that cannot accomplish anything? On the contrary, I'm not that stupid. Of course, there are people that accomplish awesome things medically, socially, politically, educationally. There are people that accomplish many things without ever knowing Christ, without ever knowing the Holy Spirit, without ever even praying the Bible. There are people who might be agnostics, atheists that accomplish great things. This is what I'm saying. It's not about accomplishing great things. It's about accomplishing the God thing. It's not just about what I can achieve. It's about what God would like me to achieve. It's not just about me taking my raw talent and my abilities and going after whatever I want. Anybody in the cosmos can do that. Most people do. You can go after whatever you want. There are people that don't know Christ that are in other religions that have great achievements to go after the things they feel and they're talented for. I'm not going after that. I'm talking about a very specific part of the kingdom of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm talking about the God thought, the God thing, the will of the Lord, the dream for you, your predestination, your election, the dot you're supposed to hit, why you were created, why you exist on planet Earth, is because God has a plan for you, and within that plan are the dreams He has for you, and He wants you to go after it. You can't do that if you don't know the Holy Spirit and you don't know Christ. Now, you can do the other thing, but I'm talking about a special slice of hitting the target. Matt Emmons, year 2004, place Athens, event Olympics, competition, rifle, 50 meter. By the time they got to the last round, Matt Emmons was so far ahead of every other rifle person There was no doubt that he would win. There was no way anybody could catch him. When they went into the last round of the competition, everybody's focused on this young man because he's going to win the gold medal for the USA, and so it's a big thing. Shows the target, shows him aiming, shows his finger slowly, so painfully slow to squeeze off that shot and not move his rifle. He wants to win the gold. Bam! He hits the bullseye, dead center. Everybody goes crazy. Everybody, the news people, everyone's talking. People are going crazy, except for two judges that are down at the other end where the shots are being fired, examining the targets, and they're waving it off. No. No. So the newsman said, oh, there's some confusion here. There's something going on. This guy's celebrating. Everybody's so happy he's won the gold, and the judges are waving it off. No. Finally, the communication gets back, and the person on the camera, the announcer, saying, Oh, no, this is impossible. This is unbelievable. Matt Emmons had shot the wrong target. He hit bullseye, but he hit the wrong target. He was off to the left. He hit someone else's target. They took him from first 
to eighth. He lost all the medals. He didn't win anything. Went home brokenhearted, but saying next time he will certainly ask, which one is his target? I want to tell you right now, even if you hit the bullseye and it's the wrong target, it still is not the best. Even if you go for something and you hit it straight on and you can accomplish it and you live your life and say, I did this and I did this and I did this and baby, I hit the bullseye. And God might just say, you did hit the bullseye. It was the wrong target. Heartbreak. I don't want to shoot at someone else's target. I want to shoot at my target. I don't want to hit the bullseye to a lesser goal. I want to hit the God goal. I don't want to be successful and a big achiever in the wrong arena. I want to achieve what God wants to achieve. Your achievement might look low to the world, but high to God. You might turn down the promotion to be the great achiever in your business or the great achiever as an entrepreneurial person who needs to move to Minneapolis, but it means separated from your family for seven months out of the year and too much traveling. And you might take the achiever route, not that that's wrong for some people, that might be the bullseye, but it might not. And you take the achiever route, but you lose some things as you move forward, such as your marriage, maybe one of your children. Maybe your health. Maybe your local church involvement. Maybe you lose some spiritual ground. Maybe you do church online or TV, but there's no more involvement for you anymore because you're an achiever. You're going after the bullseye. And with everybody else looking at it, it looks like you're hitting the bullseye straight on. But in God's mind, it might be the wrong target. You might be aiming at the wrong goal. And you might accomplish something that at the end of life you will say, I wish I would have aimed higher or differently because this goal was not worth it. I want you to aim at the right target. Turn to your neighbor and say, I truly want you to shoot the right thing. How are you going to do that? Turn to your other neighbor and say, how? How am I going to know to do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Please turn in your Bible to this verse. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. And mark it. Now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is your partner in dream. Please hear this. I believe the Holy Spirit is your partner in shooting. The target of life. I believe the Holy Spirit is your partner, your intercessor. The person who agrees with you. The person who knows the will of God and will intercede that you might adjust your life to meet the will of God. The one that actually adjusts your compass. It's the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Spirit. You should be filled with the Spirit. You should walk in the Spirit. You should know the Spirit. You should hear the Spirit. You should be empowered by the Spirit. Those are all scriptures from the very beginning. If I'm born of the Spirit and I'm filled with the Spirit and I walk in the Spirit. And I hear the Spirit, and I'm empowered by the Spirit. I might do what the Spirit wants. You need the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen. That's the human eye. Nor ear heard. That's the human ear. Nor have entered into the heart of man. Notice the things. Everyone say aloud, the things. I wonder what the things are for you.
the things which God has prepared. Could I slip in there the ideology of the word theologically predestination? That God has already prepared or predestined or predetermined certain horizons for your life? Could I slip in there a word that's used quite a bit in the New Testament, and that's the word election? What the election is, what the foreknowledge comes into that, I understand, along with predetermined goals and predetermined boundaries, that God has actually already prepared my life. He's actually already predetermined some of my boundary lines. And here it says, it's not entered into the heart of God or the heart of man, the things which God... Now, who do you want preparing your future? Who do you want to do it? Who do you want to write your life? Parents are awesome. Parent, parents, grandparent, grandparents, friends, aunts, uncles, coach, teacher, educators. Awesome. I'll tell you what. They're not as good as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will put something in you nobody else can take out and no one else can put in. But God has revealed them to us. Everyone say aloud, through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, even the deep things of God. Joel 2.28 It shall come to pass afterward, afterward meaning the cross, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and then His ascension, that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, that's you and me. Your sons and your daughters shall, what? Prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I want you to notice the word prophesy, dream, Vision and spirit. The language of the spirit involves vision and dream. Not anybody's vision and not anybody's dream. The spirit's dream and the spirit's vision. The word of God. Revelation 1 verse 10. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice of the trumpet. I want you to take and apply this principle here. To be in the spirit means that you can hear the voice of God. So the voice of God comes, and it can be like a loud trumpet. It's so loud that you cannot miss it. If you had somebody playing their trumpet in your ear, you would not say, what kind of instrument is that? Or play a little louder. It would be deafening almost if somebody just played a trumpet in your ear. And that's what John says here. He says, behind me there's a loud voice, and it's like a trumpet. How many of you would like the Holy Spirit to talk to you so clearly, it would be as loud as a trumpet. You can't miss it. It would just flood your mind, flood your heart, confirm on every angle. It would be the Holy Spirit's word to you. How does that happen? Well, first of all, we are spirit beings. Genesis 2-7, the Lord formed man. What did he do? He breathed his own breath into man. No one else has the breath of God. No one else has that kind of life. Into the very... Uh, framework of God's creation, He breathed into us the ability to reason, the capacity to understand, and to be creative. His own image. 
We are spirit beings. Now, before I was a believer, before you were a believer, before salvation, here's four things about my spirit. All right. I had darkened understanding. I didn't have any light in me. I couldn't see. I couldn't understand. I was dead to God. I could not hear the voice of God. And I had no ability to relate to God. Unless your spirit is born again, it's darkened, it's dead, it can't hear, and it can't relate. Even if you go to church and have religious experience and sing religious songs, unless your spirit has changed, you will still not experience God. You will not experience the voice of God, the presence of God, the anointing of God. The word of God will not be real to you because your spirit's dead. After salvation, my spirit becomes what? According to the Bible, an enlightened, opened. The lamp of the Lord lights the spirit of man. I become alive to God. I now can respond. I have a new spirit with ears. I can hear. Maybe I can't hear all the time. I'm not perfect in my hearing when it comes to the voice of God and the word of the Holy Spirit. But I have a chance and the possibility to move more into the voice of God and hear and discern what he's saying to me. I have a new spirit that knows God. I can commune with God. Proverbs 20 and verse 27. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching the depths of his heart. Now, every one of us have three components of what I call the three components of a redeemed spirit. The redeemed spirit has intuition, conscience, and communion. The unredeemed spirit does not have these three things. If you're not born again, if you do not know Jesus, if you have never had the born-again experience where the darkness has left your spirit, the Holy Spirit has entered the human spirit, and the two together, 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, are knit and woven together. If that has not happened, you do not have these three things. If it has happened, you have these three things in your spirit man, as you have in your soul, mind, will, and emotion, you have in your spirit intuition and conscience and communion. Now, those three things are rudders to dreaming. Those three things are rudders to following God. Those three things in my spirit are a must for me to set the goals that God has for my life. If I do not develop these things right here, it's going to be hard for me to be a spirit man. Now, Corinthians says that the spirit of a man knows the ways of a man. As the Spirit of God knows the ways of God, the Spirit of God in us knows the things of God. But it says that a man who's not born again, the things of God are foolishness to him. He can't know them, he can't understand them, and he will not practice them. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3, what I just said will be abundantly clear. The spirit of a man cannot understand the spirit of God. You have to have the spirit of God moving in to the spirit of God. The spirit in you has to be born again to understand the spirit of God. And so you move in. Now, in your spirit is intuition. And this is what you have. The spirit, the intuition in you, the spirit senses thoughts, feelings, and desires of God. You start responding to the thoughts, feelings, and desires of God. As the soul has its senses, so the spirit has intuition. A spiritual person is able to detect these senses, and from their innermost recesses, they begin to move with a God thought and a God feel, and that thing begins to move their life and mold them. Second, you not only have intuition, but you have communion. 
Communion is your ability to what? To relate to God. Your ability to interact with God, your ability to give and receive revelation. For God actually to open you up and pour into you what does not come through human reasoning, through the human mind, through the human framework. It comes by revelation of God. It comes directly into your spirit. So many times you'll read in the Gospels, and it says that Jesus felt deeply in his spirit. He sighed, or he was troubled in his spirit, or he spoke from his spirit, or discerned in his spirit. And the Apostle Paul used the same terminology, that which comes into your spirit, because you have ability to commune with God. The Holy Spirit is dumping stuff into you that you can assimilate about God himself, about the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that happening, that faculty is either dead or it is so anemic you can't develop a God thought or a God sense or a God desire or a God decision because you're anemic in your spirit man. Third, you have to have a good conscience. If your conscience is seared, if your conscience is dirty, if your conscience is twisted, if your conscience is loaded down with dead works and sin, you'll have a hard time hearing the voice of God. You'll have a hard time moving in the things of God. A conscience discerns what's good and bad. The conscience, a faculty of your redeemed spirit, prompts you to do what is right. Even though you might reason where you want to achieve or what you want to do in life or what even you want to dream about, it's the Holy Spirit that might prompt you and say, that's not right for you. It might be right for him might be right for her, but it's not right for you. So your conscience becomes a prompter. It can warn you that you're making a wrong decision. Sometimes, do you ever get that feeling in the in the deep of your stomach, just that gnawing feeling that something is wrong, but you can't put your finger on it? How many have had that? Just you know it's not right. But you can't go to someone and say, I have this funny feeling inside of me that something is wrong, but I don't know what it is. And they say, oh, that's the Spirit of God. They might not understand anything about the Spirit of God, our conscience, our intuition, our communion, our Holy Spirit, our prophetic, our dream, our vision, or nothing else. But the Holy Spirit starts welling up inside of you to say, that's the wrong step for you. That'll cost you years. Don't go down that way. Well, what do you want me to do? Just relax and I'll bring in the thought of God and I'll teach you how to walk with me. But there's a check that comes. It could be in a relationship where you just started and this person looks like the person you should want to develop relationship. They have the kind of money that you want to spend. They have... They have the kind of car you want to drive. They have the kind of house you want to live in. And... They're spirit-filled. They go to church. They love God. And you're in. And then something inside of you goes, no. And you want to say, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. (laughs) What do you mean, no? How can there be a no on this guy or this gal? How can it be no when everything looks right? But there's something inside of us that prompts us at times that's beyond reasoning that directs us to say, that's not your target. I have them for someone else. Your target is different than that one. So you back up. Or maybe you push through. And I could apply that to every arena of life. 
We need a pure conscience that prompts, approves, disapproves, confirms, wells up, helps us direct. Could be that you have just the best job, making six figures a year. You went seven years of school to get it. You are now ready for a promotion. And everyone around you would say, this is the favor and blessing of God on your life. And it could be in most situations. But God says, hey, drop what you're doing. And go to Uganda and help with the orphanage for a couple of years. What? Yeah. Look at I'm single. I need to get my life together for marriage. It's all reason that would be good counsel. And then God comes on and says, no. Go there. Don't take the promotion. And so you wrestle with it. You pray. And the only time you get peace is when you say, yes. And I'm using an extreme maybe illustration here. I'll go to Uganda or wherever it might be, South Africa or And then when you wrestle with it, there's no peace. You let it go, there's peace. And finally, say, okay. You give your notice. Your friends say to you, you are one spirit-filled idiot. (laughs) Who in the world is giving you counsel? I know it doesn't look right, but it's what I have. It's what I feel. It's it's just so right in my being. I don't know what to do. I'm going to just have to go. And so you move with that thought. Unreasonable to some people. Wrong maybe even to yourself at times. But then you end up working in the orphanage. And lo and behold, the woman you are to marry has also done the same thing with her job. Went through the same wrestling. Ends up in the same orphanage to serve God for a little while over there while she's trying to sort out what she's supposed to do. And your paths cross. And God says, Better than a promotion, isn't it? (laughs) Now, would you give your promotion for this guy? Oh, would I? Yes, yes, yes. Can I marry her? Not yet. (laughs) But you might never cross that trail until you obey prompting. Until you obey what is beyond sometimes what we want to do ourselves. Me standing in this pulpit this morning, preaching to this congregation in Portland, Oregon, 14 years ago, I made a decision that did not make any sense to me, my wife, my family, my eldership, or my future. And it was nothing I had written in to what I was going to do. I was not coming back here. My church was down there. And God just kind of floated in one day and said, hey... You want a future? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Serve another man's vision. What? What are you talking about? I'm in my car driving. I'm talking out loud. What are you talking about? Serve another. I have a vision. I'm a visionary, in case you haven't noticed. And I have personal vision. I don't need someone else's vision. And I have a successful church. I don't need anybody else's church. God came back and just said, 
Your time here is numbered. You're on assignment. You're leaving. My whole life fell apart. It was the hardest decision as an adult I've ever made. But my path had the cross with destiny for a lot of reasons for me to let go of one thing and simply light up to another and say, I don't know, but I know it's God. Because God made it so abundantly clear. The rest is history for 14 years. Now, every once in a while, the Holy Spirit's going to bring you into His thought, God's will, God's target, and God's destiny, and it's not always comfortable to the flesh. Or to my own personal. America is built on my dream, my salary, my house, my retirement. Whatever makes me feel good about life, that's what I'm going to do. God says, that's not the kingdom of God. Seek ye first yourself and you shall find fulfillment. Are you there? Are you okay? Well, whether you are or not, I think it's true. I end with this. Write these down. Pray over them this week. See where it takes you in your own thought and your own motivation here. Here's a couple statements. Write these down. Possibilities about imagining. Number one, imagine is to receive the dreams God has for you. For you. Would you please just stop in your own life right now, this week, Maybe you've already done this, but simply just get alone with God and say, God, I thought I knew everything, but, you know, maybe there's more you have for me, a dream for my life. Number two, imagine to see the future without limitations or restrictions. Don't let limitations and restrictions, even though they might be real, be the dictator of your dream. Three, imagine as the Holy Spirit opening our hearts And actually beginning to reveal secrets, sometimes that's already in us. But it hasn't been brought up. The treasure's there, but we haven't dug it out. The dream is buried, but we haven't really brought it to the surface. And the Holy Spirit begins to dig and open up the hearts. Number four, imagine is to believe what was impossible. If I move in faith and with God and His will, it is now possible. What might that be? Five, imagine is to lift the lid off your mind and resist old patterns, old assumptions, old habits of thinking about now and the future and decisions and everything about your life. Some of those old assumptions have to leave. Number six, imagine is to let go of some of the lesser ambitions. And you've got to go beyond. Let go of the lesser ambitions and reach beyond. And number seven, imagine is to make a faith declaration of what you see. The power of words. Words have in them life and death. The power of the tongue. Job twenty-two twenty-eight. you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. What an awesome scripture. Psalms 40, verse 10. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness. And your salvation, I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. In other words, I have brought it out. I have confessed it. Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. But he wasn't at this point when he starts making this confession. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead. Here's a great scripture for 
declaration. Romans 4.17. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's faith. And that's declaration. You need to actually get the thought of God, write down the thought of God, and confess the thought of God. If you have lesser goals, let them go and begin to confess a higher goal for your life, a higher vision for your life. Put the words out in front of you and begin to go after them, rototill them and pray in intercession and let the Holy Spirit make them real to your life. Can I hear an amen?